College baseball fans, it's time for the D1 Baseball Podcast with Mike Rooney, Aaron Fitt, and Kendall Rogers. Let's win every podcast. Now, here's the pride of the Newtown Edgemont Little League, Coach Rooney. Hello and welcome to the 42 Minutes of Heaven we call the D1 Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. Today's episode brought to us by our friends at S2 Cognition. S2 Cognition delivers a revolutionary approach to helping athletes understand how in-game decisions impact their performance from the youth levels all the way to the pros. Holy heck, revolutionary with the snipage right there. Uh, Gentlemen, I am joined by, by three wonderful people. Uh, the Ernest Hemingway of college baseball, Aaron J. Fit, Jumpin' Joe Healy, and the uh, college baseball search firm known as Kendall and Rogers. Gentlemen, sorry, revolutionary. It's a lot of syllables hey, right listen, out of the shoot. Listen, you almost made it 12 seconds without messing something up today. So, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. It's, just, oh it's always a good day when I get to see Aaron uh, Zebediah Fit. Oh, gosh, that's right. The, the great Zebediah. Boys, I got, I got a very important question to start us off with today. You ready? Uh-oh. Yes. Okay. I want to know if you prefer hot drinks or cold drinks. And is that, does that play opposite to your spouse? Fitzy, you go first. Hot drink, cold oh, drink. Wow. And how does that relate to your spouse? This, this one's a layup. It's definitely cold drinks, coach. Uh, For both. You know, I, well, cause I don't, I don't like, I don't like to burn my mouth. Okay. I, I've Amen. got to, I've got to, I can, I can drink some hot coffee, but I got to let it sit yeah. for a while. And if I got to let a beverage sit before I can drink it, then why don't I just make lukewarm coffee? I, you know, why do I, why do I need, I don't need it super hot. I don't get that. Like it just yeah. ruins my taste buds for the day. Give me cold iced coffee uh, for the win. Uh, my wife can go either way. She does like her hot tea, uh, but uh, she, she doesn't have, not have a strong preference, but the, the correct answer is, is cold beverages. Coach. That is the correct answer. Kendall, where's sta- what say you? Can I do a total KR move and just say like 50, 50, God, this guy. Uh, that's your, that's you're showing your versatility. Are. Yeah, you're that's what we kind of are. Like in the morning, I want coffee. In the afternoon, I want a cold diet coke, or I want a uh, energy drink, a cold energy. Where drink. do you stand on cold and iced coffee, Kendall? Not, a, not, not an honor. So let me give Aaron a tip. There's this little thing called ice that's in your fridge. <laughs> if you do a hot coffee, just put like one cube of ice in there because I'm with you. I'm with you. Like I don't like burning the roof of my mouth. That's not very yeah. fun. No. So yeah. we'll do a little something. Grab a little ice cube, drop it in your coffee cup, and I promise it won't be as hot. But then aren't you watering down the product? I mean, if you get bad coffee, maybe. So, Kendall, to be clear, you and the great Angela Rogers are aligned on this. We're aligned. We're like coffee in the morning, um, some sort of ice drink in the afternoon. Yeah, I don't I don't like a hot drink in the middle of the afternoon, yeah. especially when it's already like 105 degrees here, like nine months out of the year. That's right, H-Town. Joe, what say you? First of all, I think Aaron has stumbled upon a pretty good business idea, which is serving lukewarm coffee. Why has no one thought of <laughs> I would that? drink it, just, honestly. <laughs> ready to drink. Um, right. I don't um, – so my spouse and I Anne, are um, complete opposites in this way. She loves hot drinks. She drinks warm coffee. Um, she does iced coffee like in the summertime if it's, if it's really warm. But for the most part, she does – uh, hot coffee every morning. She really likes hot tea. Um, she likes hot chocolate and hot cider. And we actually will do occasionally like a, she'll do like a mold wine. Like you heat it up, like on the stove. It's like made like kind of heated. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's mold, like a mold, mold. spiced wine. Mm-hmm. Look out. And actually it's not as bad. Like when I tried it, I kind of had, 
uh, I was like, oh gosh, what is this going to be like? But it was, it actually wasn't bad. I kind of enjoyed it, but I am not a, a, um, a hot drinks person though. So I am very different. I don't drink coffee at all. Um, which is not to say that I don't drink caffeine. I drink from about 9am until way too close to me going to bed, uh, diet Mountain Dew. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm a diet Dew guy basically all day, or as I like to call it a trailer park, a Chino, <laughs> I, but I don't like, <laughs> which I would love to say, I think well I may have, I may have picked up that line from somewhere along the way. Someone may have said that before. Oh. I don't know, but that's kind of what I refer to it as. So I drink those, you know, basically all day. So that's, that's what I do. I'm a, I'm a cold drinks guy. I just, for a lot of the same reasons, Aaron said, you know, burning the mouth is a, is a concern. Having to wait on it is also a concern. And also the warm drinks tend to be, except for hot chocolate, which is just, I don't know. It's something that's like a treat more than a drink, but um, for the most part, they tend to just be things that I don't really drink. I'm not a big tea drinker. I'm not a big coffee drinker. So maybe if there was something that I enjoyed more, I would be, cause I don't know if it's the temperature. It's just that I haven't, I haven't gotten the hot drink yet that really tickles my fancy. Well, the burning of the mouth thing is a huge issue. Like that's why well, cold and, drinks are the right answer. Yeah. And I'm so I'm soft on that kind of stuff. Like oh, I, it's the worst. I always, I let my food cool down a lot more than my wife does too. Like she dives, she'll let it sit, but she'll, she like basically dives right in and she wants it to be kind of like at a higher temperature level than I do to the point where she jokes about, she had a dog named Stanley growing up who, um, when they would give him little, little bits of food off the table or whatever, he would be nervous that it was hot. So they would have to tell him it's okay, Stanley, go ahead. And so, uh, she jokes with me now and she's like, she, if she hands me food off her plate, she's like, it's okay, Stanley, go ahead. <laughs> Um, to tell me that it's that it's the right eating temperature because I don't I don't like the food to be too hot in my mouth. So I'm soft. I'll admit it. It's fine. Joe, you're, you're a mystery turn. man. I had no idea that Stanley the dog was making this podcast, and we are the better for it. That is rest awesome. in peace. Sponsor. Rest in peace, Stanley. Yeah, that's right. And also the fact that I was wondering how the listeners can't see this, but the video viewers can. That your mustache is like it's intimidatingly awesome. And I was wondering Thank how you. you pulled that off, but it's clearly the Diet Mountain Dew. You're basically right. performance enhancing your mustache, <laughs> is what's. No, happening. I think that's right. Yeah, it's the the mustache yeah. is resplendent. It um the beard starting to even up a little bit. Uh, there's starting to be a little uh, newsflash, gents. It's starting to get a little gray in the beard. Like it's Ooh, not going to yeah. be long. Welcome yeah. to the party. Yeah, Look a little out. salt and pepper, and then um I will. You know, I, I, that, I feel like that is going to be me evolving to my final and best form. Honestly, once the salt and pepper starts coming pepper, in, yeah, that's it. you know, I've, I've already got the balding thing going on. Like I don't have children, but I'm an honorary dad. And um, that is, is me achieving my final form. Yes. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll finalize and then we will, we, we will get to college baseball. I'm a, I'm a, like you guys, soft, you know, safety first. Don't want to burn my mouth. I'm an iced coffee drinker. I've quit soda pretty much altogether. Um, and just now I'm drinking way too much coffee. Jenny, the great Jenny Rooney, J Row, if you will, like you, like w w she wants a flamethrower underneath of her drink, like just can't be hot enough. And that is, that is a topic of great discourse in our home that I, I will drink three hour old coffee. And that is mind boggling to the great J Row. So there you have it. There you go. Seven minutes on on beverage temperatures. Is that what our our listeners are? That is. I will say, runes. Like I will drink coffee that's been sitting there for like six hours. I don't care. Prefer. It doesn't bother me. It's no risk. It's no risk coffee. I just I just don't want to know how much caffeine I ingest on a on a daily basis. It can't be good for me. Yeah, let's not answer that question. All right, boys. Here's here's the topic. We're here's what we're doing today. So I'll give you the the genesis of this conversation. 
the World Cup in soccer starts in two weeks, less than two weeks. Um, and I'm fired up. Like, this is one of the greatest events in world sports. But I don't know jack about soccer. Like, I'm so unprepared to watch this. I'm, I'm excited, and I have no idea why. So I'm the average sports fan who's excited for this event. But if I don't prepare properly, I will very quickly be not excited and not watching it. So what I thought we so the, what I did is I talked to my brother who is a soccer fanatic and and I basically said look I need five things I can focus on as I get ready for this otherwise I'm going to watch the first game and then not watch it again so can you give me five things players themes whatever so I thought about how many average sports fans and I, I, average means just standards probably the better word standard sports fans have been coming to college baseball we've we've piqued their interest. But it's overwhelming. We've got 305 teams, right? It's, it's a lot. So what I thought we would do today is each of us are going to give five things for the standard sports fan to just – here's where – this is your appetizer for college baseball. This is where you're going to start. Um, this could be players. Probably some of it should be players. This could be traditions. This could be leagues. Um, this could be coaches, personalities, whatever it is, events – um, we can go anywhere we want. We can repeat ourselves, you know, because I think that's if we all say Tony Vitello, that's telling, right, that that is something that the average sports fan should plug into. So we're going to go around the horn. Five things that the standard sports fan, we would say, hey, you should you should lock your eyes on this as you want to kind of wet your whistle on college baseball. Are we clear with the instructions, gentlemen? Let's wet some whistles, Rune. <laughs> let's let's get people lubricated. Let's go. Oh. Uh, Fitzy, <laughs> Fitzy, wet the first whistle, please. Let's go. Uh, wow. Well, this, this, what a what a what a question here. I, I I love this prompt. I can't believe I have to lead off though. This is a lot of pressure. Um, here's the first thing I'm going to say. <clears throat> What's in the water in the state of Mississippi? People ask oh, me sometimes. Love it. Who won, you know, people who are just casual fans, like on the golf course and talking college baseball with some, you know, just rando. Like, oh, who won it all this year? And I'll say Ole Miss. And Mississippi State won it last year. And, and people who don't follow it closely are like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize. Like, you know, um, is Southern Miss going to do it this year? That, that's the question. Are they, are they next? Because um, wow. that, that state is having in quite a run. I do think that um, if, if you're new to college baseball, you've you got to – you got to learn to know the Magnolia State uh, because you've got incredibly passionate fan bases there. You've got three of the great venues in our sport, of course, uh, Swayze Field, Duty Noble, and um, I'm actually on my way to Hattiesburg this weekend uh, to see uh, and, and Oxford. Um, it's a nice little Mississippi run to wrap up my fall travels, and I always love going down there because they really love their college baseball, and that state has it rolling right now. So that's point number one for me: know the Ooh. Magnolia State. Borderline mic drop right there, Fitzy. Mm. I mean, that is bringing the ruckus. Well done. Well, very well done. I didn't, I didn't, that did not make my list. I love that answer. Uh, Jose, why don't you go next? So mine are a um, kind of of a piece that's like a theme with mine. So I tried to approach this from the standpoint of someone who's looking for bigger trends, bigger picture items, kind of things that maybe have a longer tail to use like a statistics term there where yes, you can observe them within the context of the 2022, 2023, pardon me, season, but they're really actually things that are going to have effects on college baseball 
two, five, 10 years down the road. Now there are some microcosm examples in here. So it's not just stuff that you have to like wait to see on. So anyway, you'll see as, as we go along, but I, I try to think of it as like a, a long-term thinking fans guide to, to some of this stuff. So like it. my first item is specific to a team though, and that's wake forest. And Ooh. now one is because they're going to be good. You heard it here first. Mm-hmm. Um, really talented position okay. players. They're kind of they're kind of fun to watch because they play in a in a bandbox where the wind is often blowing out. So you get offense for both their side and the opposition. So that's kind of fun. People like chicks dig the long ball, that whole deal. But also the big picture thing here is that first of all, they have a very talented pitching staff. The rotation, you know, Rhett Lauder, Teddy McGraw, Josh Hartle, like those are all big names that you should know. But for those fans who are maybe a little bit um, wary of how long college baseball takes or the lack of action in the game, like Wake Forest is actively trying to move us in the other direction. Like they make a point to take less time between pitches. Like they are the classic example of pitcher delivers pitch. He steps back onto the rubber, receives the ball while he's on the rubber and just kind of sets again. Um, they they are moving pretty quick. So I think it's a nice cross section of a a fun team, a good team, but also look, I mean, we've all had the conversations both off air and uh, like in the press box in Omaha and also, you know, on air here about needing to kind of, it's not just a baseball problem. It's a college baseball problem too, of giving more action to the game, speeding the game up and, and wake forest is trying to do its part is what I'm saying. So if you're looking for someone to get behind that, that might be able to give you a window into what it might look like if the game moves faster, whether legislated or just by style, Wake Forest is that example. And I'll, and I'll piggyback on that because I, I recently had a good chat with Corey Muscara, the, the pitching coach at Wake Forest, and he is one of one of the great personalities in our game. He really – I mean, come on. He's, he's a New England guy. You know, it's, it's, that's a good place to start. He's got that, that New England edge to him. But he wants all his guys to work super fast like Joe's talking about. That's a huge thing that they talk about. And, and he's not, you know, he's not afraid of the, the bandbox stereotype at Wake Forest. And he said, you know, we don't care about our ERA. I mean, that's not what it's about. We want to win. And if we win 10 to 9 and our pitchers have crappy ERAs, you know, they're going to be okay with that because we've proven that we can still develop talent. We can still get guys drafted good. Uh, but the bottom line here is it's about winning. And if it's an environment that's difficult for pitchers on both sides to pitch, all you have to do is allow fewer runs than the other guys. You don't have to have a three ERA to win. And I think that's a healthy way to look at it. But I totally agree, Joe. Um, they, on paper, look like a top 10 team. And we'll see if they can live up to that billing. They're a fun, fun team to watch. Love it. All right, KR, let's say you search you know, for Kendall and Rogers. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I think uh, of all the, the times I've talked to people that, you know, see a, a College World Series hat, see a College World Series shirt, they're always kind of acting, you know, they always kind of ask like, hey, like what, like, how, like what is the College World Series like? And I always tell people that if you wanted like a true definition of like what Americana would be, to me it would be like the opening weekend of the College World Series. And so I think for anybody – who's just kind of getting ushered into college baseball, uh, who's wanting to learn more about college baseball, uh, I would always urge them to to find a way to do opening weekend. I'm not even saying in the middle of the second week, because we all know we all get fatigued, the crowds get fatigued by the second week. But uh, opening weekend of col- the College World Series to me is college baseball in a nutshell. It's, it's tons of fans. The, the city's great that weekend. You've got the best teams in college baseball. It's, it's everything that you want. Uh, in our sport, all wrapped in the one. I love that call. Kendall, and I'll add on to that. Like, 
because I, I think we've all had this conversation. Yeah. It's a guy's trip. It's a family trip. It's whatever you want it to be. You know, like it's it's father and son. It's the whole family. You see guys trips out there like you can't mess it up. It's so it's awesome on so many well, different fronts. Well, what's cool, too, is 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 Omaha does a lot of things like beyond the World Series that weekend. Like I was talking to a buddy of mine down here in Houston who runs like a select team. And, you know, he was like, oh, man, I'd love to go to the College World Series. Or we all, you know, we always have tournaments. And I said, hey, like, have you ever looked in the looked into the Omaha Barnstormers tournament, you know, they got like 180 teams or something that are in a travel ball tournament in Omaha on opening weekend. So he takes a look at it and like, now he's kind of like, you know what? I'm not actually looking to take my team to that. So, you know, the city of Omaha does a lot of things beyond the world series to kind of bring people there. But I, again, I, I, I find nothing better in college baseball than opening weekend of the college world series. It's, it's absolute best. Mm, good call. Really good call. All right, boys. I, here's what I'm going with. I'm going to call it the devil's trifecta. The analogy I'm making is Big East basketball in the heyday with all those mm. coaches. And the three coaches I'm going to give you, Tony Vitello of Tennessee, Tim Corbin of Vanderbilt, and Jay Johnson of LSU. Like these three guys couldn't be more different, but they there's just this, you know, Vandy has been the best program in college baseball since 2007. I don't think that can be argued. Even, even the most ardent Florida fan, once I slid back to 2007, I don't know that they can stay in that conversation. You know, Tennessee and LSU, there are no two programs that are more on fire with inflamed fan bases than those two groups. And it has everything to do with those head coaches, Tony Vitello and Jay Johnson. And again, it reminds me of the old Big East basketball with like John Thompson and Roly Massimino and Louis, Louis Carnesecca and, and Jim Beheim. Jim Beheim and, and John Thompson hated each other for years. And I, I sense that energy between LA, I mean, hey, Vandy and Tennessee are in the same state, for God's sakes. LSU is, you know, they were the, the godfather of SEC baseball. So I would say it this way, like if you're going to gonna jump into college baseball, you have to start with the SEC. They're just, it, it's the league. And these are the three teams that I think there's this triangle there that is, it's going to be fireworks every time. And, and I mean, you could throw Arkansas into that mix, you know, with, yeah. with Dave Van Horn and Tony Vitello, of course, the history that, that they have now we worked together in the past and had some pretty visible on field, discussions um was that last year i think it was last year right um anyway and, and two years those, ago i don't think they played two years ago year. it was two years yeah. ago yeah um so you know i think they're they're two fan bases i think that incident really infl- use your word inflamed those two fan bases with regard to the other and i think there's a lot of anticipation for that tennessee arkansas yeah. series this year what what's really fascinating too guys is like the different steps that Tennessee brought to the table from like a college baseball popularity standpoint. Like there were people that I knew that didn't even follow college baseball. Like I would see them at the gym and they'd be like, Oh, Hey, Hey, I just, you know, I saw a video of Ben Joyce over the weekend. So I watched Tennessee and like, man, some of their antics are kind of crazy. And so like the, the whole aspect of like Ben Joyce throwing one Oh four, you know, you know, Tennessee's kind of flashy personality, whatever you want to call it. And then the fact that they're, by the way, they're really badass. Like that mm-hmm. was a really interesting trio for that program last year. And honestly, like I'll go ahead and say it like, like, yeah, people might've been annoyed by them, but like them having the season they did them being the way they were last year and Ben Joyce, like that was actually like a net positive for college baseball. There are a lot of people that, that tuned totally. in to watch college baseball 
that had no idea that college baseball is that much fun. And, and I also give Tennessee fans a lot of credit. Like the fact that their ballpark was packed and rowdy. And I mean, it was like going in a, a boxing ring like that added to it as well, because like Americans love watching. Like, so I go, I go back to football this past weekend, LSU hosts Alabama at Tiger stadium, in Baton Rouge. What does ESPN do? They're showing a drone video of Tiger stadium come out of every time out because it's rowdy. Well, like Americans like love that kind of stuff. Like Americans love watching like Tennessee. They zoom in their crowd and people are banging on the you know nets and stuff like that. Like people love that stuff. So Tennessee last year doing what they did honestly was like a huge positive for college baseball, even though there were some headaches uh, you know along the way. Yeah, it's I mean arguably the most entertaining team in our sport yeah. in twenty years. Like they were just like and just when you thought it was going to calm down, it would it was like dynamite right around every corner bat gate you know middle finger gate like just ejection yeah. gate like just yeah there was it, it never I don't, ever stopped. yeah i don't think they're going to be anywhere near as crazy this year i think a lot of a lot of lessons were learned so i think we had fun while it lasted but i don't see them being like culturally the same as they were last year maybe i'm wrong yeah. Well, I mean, what, what won't change, though, is the way that program is supported, though. And I think that's an important we, – mm -hmm. we talked about it. I'm not saying you guys didn't, but I'm just saying yeah. that won't change, though. And I, I've covered – you know, I've spent a decent amount of time in Knoxville the last couple of years covering them. I was there in this for the Super in, in 21. Mm -hmm. I was there for the Alabama series last year, which you might remember as the series where, you know, Tony Vitello bumped a referee – and a referee, an umpire. <laughs> I'm watching a lot of college football lately. Bumped an umpire and – Frank Anderson stormed out of the dugout and got tossed. And, you know, Josh Elander was like the only coach left in the dugout. I mean, so <clears throat> those – I'm trying to think of a way to describe those crowds in a way that doesn't have like a negative connotation because I don't mean it that way. But it's – I've been – LSU football? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's something I mean, like that. I mean, it's, it's antagonistic yes. in a way that – It's rough around the edges. Like yeah. you see – you see big time mm -hmm. atmospheres in college baseball and I've been in other big time atmospheres, but there's something, everyone is locked in on the game. Um, and part of that is because it's, it's a smaller stadium, right? There's like less going on. You, you can't walk all the way around it. There's not a lot to do in the stadium, right? Like it's, it's a, you're, you're, you know, you're just there to watch the game, sit in the, and sit in the bleachers and watch the game. So, but it's, I say antagonistic because I forget which of you guys said it, but just like, there's people up on the nets. Like you can walk up on top of their dugouts. Now they, they shoo you off of it. You can't just stand there the whole time, but like, but when big things happen, fans like kind of get up on, on top of the dugouts and like they're up by the nets and like, it, it's very much like a, like a bullfight kind of thing. Yeah. That's it's a like a, it's like a, it's like a meaner, rowdier version of Oregon state, just the feel of the place. And just the fact that the, the way that they feel on top, on top of, it, of yeah. you and the yeah. way that they're into the game to that degree, they're just not as, I mean, you know, they're, they got you're right. I mean, they got more of an edge in Knoxville. I mean, it's for better or for worse. Yeah, yeah. Really, wonder, like they, they should get everything. They should get everything they 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 want in terms of new facility and all that. Because let, let's be honest, they need it. Like I'm not su su suggesting they don't. But you do wonder if some of that gets lost a little bit if they build a ten thousand, twelve thousand seat place, and they would probably fill it at least right now with how hot they are. But you know, do you lose some of that? And so that is kind of going to be a little trade off they're going to have to measure. And we've seen that I, I a lot. Know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know I, I would argue like I'm trying to think of a quicker cultural shift from a fan base in college baseball history. Like I'm trying to I'm it's trying like to think back when. Yeah. yeah, like I'm trying to think when, when Mike Bianco got Ole Miss rolling that that turned into a party atmosphere. But like for Tennessee to go to a place that was an absolute 
empty ballpark, like it was stale. They were losing the first round of the, of the SEC tournament. They could even make it to the SEC tournament. And so to go from what they were to all of a sudden you're, you're playing in Jackson, Mississippi, three and a half, four hours away from Knoxville, and there's 2,000 people lined up two hours before the game for a freaking fall scrimmage. I mean, that's pretty incredible. It's, it's a great story. I think the analogy, Kendall, and then we'll go round two, is that it's not – there is no college baseball analogy. The analogy, in my mind, is Miami Hurricanes football, you know, where they were just a non-starter, and then that program just – you know, it was like WWE. It was famous. It was, you know, it was, it was electric for that time period. Um, and they, they were the bad boys of college football, like Tennessee. I think it's fair to say they're the bad, or they were last year, at least we'll see this year, the bad boys of college baseball. Yeah. And it goes back to, I always tell people that are like big pro baseball fans. Like, you know, I'll have friends here locally. They're huge Astros fans who don't really care about college baseball. And I always tell people like, dude, just give college baseball a chance. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. And so like, I always urge people like, you know, even if you're not a big college baseball fan, you know, if you live in Mississippi, go check out the dude or go to Swayze. If you live in Texas, go to Austin for a big, big series or, you know, a big Saturday game or go to A&M for a, you know, a regional game. Like it doesn't get much better than that when it comes to the pageantry, baseball and things like that. Yeah. Amen. Fitzy, round two. What do you got for us? Let's do it. That was a good discussion. I like yes, that. Sir. Uh, so here's where I'm going next. You mentioned Vanderbilt uh, in your mm-hmm. in your three programs there, Runes. Um, I think Vanderbilt has clearly one of the, maybe the most exciting player in the country in Enrique Bradfield. Yes. This is a name that obviously you have to know if you like college baseball. This guy stole 46 bags and 46 attempts last year. Um, the year before that, he had 47 steals. Uh, in, in 53 tries, uh, he's gotten stronger, hits for a little more power, but he's kind of that wiry, you know, Willie McGee frame, uh, even wears number 51, a little bit of Willie McGee to his style. Uh, super exciting guy. But here's what, one reason I bring him up. I think there is another guy that is kind of like an emerging Bradfield. And, and we got a, a look at him last year on the grand stage. I think you guys probably know where I'm going. Uh, but it's, it's my man, John Spikerman at Oklahoma. Ooh. Was a freshman Ooh, last year. Now he only—you might look at the numbers. And say, oh, he only stole twelve bases last year. Played thirty-five games. This guy can freaking run, and he is a stick of dynamite. Um, I think that it'll be a fascinating stolen base race between Bradfield and Spikerman this year because uh, that Oklahoma team is is just uh, the way they play. It's just. It's, it's really dazzling. I mean, the, the aggressiveness on the base pass of, of the Re- Reggie Willis offense. Um, I was there for a fall scrimmage against the Texas Rangers instructional league team. And I think they started the game by going like 12 for 12 in steals in the first like three or four innings. Like they were just running roughshod over this, this Rangers team. And Spectrum had like five stolen bases in two innings. And then later he hit a inside the park home run for good measure. And it's just like watching that guy race around the bases it was, I mean, it's, he's so much fun to watch. And he's, if you look at him, he's physical. There's more strength mm. in there. He's not a slap and dash guy. I think this guy can be a legitimate big time superstar uh, on the Bradfield level. And uh, those are two names that I'm, I'm really watching this year. Switch hitter or left-handed hitter, Spikerman? Switch? Um, I think it's switch, but like, was he, was he only hitting from one side? At yeah, the end I think last you're right. Because he was like an injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. That's but a I great believe- call. Yeah, yeah he, he, he stood out in, in their run to Omaha like he was a dude, even though yeah. he's a freshman. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll jump in here next because I think we have a, ahead, a twofer here. So like we can kind of move us along here because I think this conversation can jump off of, of what Aaron said. And we can still continue on. And that's 
you know, if you're kind of tired in MLB of the walk, strikeout, home run, you know, like the every every at bat ends in one of those plate appearance ends in one of those three things, seemingly. Mm-hmm. Um, college baseball does provide a little bit of a salve for that. Now you see teams that have that approach, but you do also see quite a bit of uh, variety. And I think Oklahoma is going to provide some of that this year. You can also even see at the mid-major level, I think of Wofford as this type of team. Like yes. they always put up silly stolen base totals, um, but they also hit the ball out of the ballpark. You know, they've also got, they've got some guys with some physicality. Um, the service cat like army is a team like this, you know, the service Academy teams, just because of the player, they tend to recruit, they tend to have a little more speed. So they, they play this way. Teams in the SWAC tend to run a lot. You know, you get just bonkers stolen base totals out of that league. So, um, so I would say, you know, search some of that out early in the season. Stylistically, obviously Oklahoma is going to be fairly easy to find because they're going to be all over the place. You know, Wofford's games are on ESPN plus, right? So like, that's not too tough either, but just kind of search around for a style you like, because the great thing about college baseball is you, you whatever style it is you want, you can find it. <laughs> you just kind of have to, to search it out and figure it out. So if you're looking for something that looks a little different than the MLB game, college baseball's got it for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like Willie Blomquist said on our podcast with him. It's like 56 playoff games. You know, if you like MLB playoffs better than MLB regular season, that's what we more closely yeah. resemble. I also love Joe, what you said about Wofford, because I think about even business people. Like if you think, if you enjoy out of the box thinking, creativity, those types of things, Wofford is a disadvantaged program in many ways. So what do they do? They get little runners, they get sidearm pitchers, you know, like I, I think, I think what Todd Interdonado and Wofford have done is really like compelling and fun. And it was such a, a choice, you know, and I, I wrote about this last year when I saw those guys, but um, you know, it was maybe four or five years into his tenure. Um, he said, you know, we're fine, but we're, we're kind of steadily making progress, but we're not really standing out. Like how can we, how can we make a mark? How can we differentiate ourselves from other programs? He goes, well, you know, he, uh, Todd and, and JJ Edwards sat down and said, well, let's go all in on the stolen base and, mm-hmm. and just like make that our thing. And so like the first year they just went crazy with it and they got thrown out a ton and picked off a ton. And then like uh, year over year, they got better at it and better at it and more efficient at it. And they've been in the top three in the country and still stolen bases like something crazy like i don't know it was nine of the last 10 years or something like that i mean it's uh they do it and they do it really well and i agree like for a mid-major program to kind of forge your own identity that way uh, i think it's a, i think it's a neat story really I, I would argue too what the most exciting offense in the last 25 years in college baseball would be 2014 louisiana yes oh you know, no, with, yeah with blade trahan Second. and chase compton i still go back you, you talk about like a, a variety of different approaches like that team had like literally everything like they're going to hit and run they're going to steal bases and i still remember in that super regional against Ole miss in the opening game when they just bombed Ole miss and you're thinking like hell, like hell these guys might only might not only win the super like they may win the national championship and i still remember chase compton uh hit a like a grand slam or something in the third inning i mean the ball literally went over the light standard his next at bat they had two guys on one out the dude drops down a bunt like that, that was just their offense that year. So, I mean, I go back to that and and to Joe's point that you will find a little bit of everything, you know, you go back to Cal State Fullerton when they, you know, when they were rolling and just their unorthodox style, the the pressure they put on pitchers and the pressure they put on fielders and things like that. So, you know, it's kind of funny. I was watching the Astros and the Phillies last week, you know, and Jeremy Pena played, you know, baseball at Maine. And in one of the situations in one of the games at Philly, like they tried to get him to put down a bunt. And, like, it looked like it was a foreign language to him. So it was just kind of funny 
for a guy coming from college baseball that had such trouble putting down like a basic bunt. So crazy. Yeah, that that 2014 Raging Cajun team, the way oh, I yeah. described it to someone was like it was like nine undersized all-state high school football players, like the 5'11", 200 pounds, quick twitch, just run right through you, kid, played high school running back. They had nine of them, and they like just fury on the field, you know, steal a base, bunt for hit like crazy, bombs in the gap you know, over the light center, like you said, Kendall, and, and they played with their hair on fire. That was, um, that is a great pull. Do you, you, yeah, have, you no, have, no, oh, go ahead, Kendall. No, no, you go ahead. Do you have a, uh, do you want to, you want to submit the uh, Lafayette or Louisiana, I should say Fullerton style of play as your submission, or do you have a different one? Yeah, I would say Louisiana. And I would also say to kind of actually answer your question and give my second second item i would say in college baseball one of the things that that i think is really cool that i think people can relate to and and like is the you know emergence of mid-majors you know if you look at the college basketball top 25 rankings uh right now it's north carolina gonzaga duke texas texas tech and it's kind of like it's for the most part it's all power five teams and there's no doubt when you look at college baseball, I mean, at the top, it's a lot of power five teams. But, I mean, this past, this past year, you know, you have East Carolina, Southern Miss. You've got UConn, who's developed into a consistent contender at the national level in college baseball. You have Texas State out of the Sun Belt, uh, you know, who almost made it to a super. You have Georgia Southern hosting a regional. Uh, we've talked about Indiana State from a couple of years ago so many times. Uh, you know, they had a host-worthy resume. And so I think when you look at college baseball, if you're a fan of kind of the quote-unquote little guys and you want to watch a sport where it's not like football, where, you know, when we're looking at the CFP rankings, it's just big, you know, big program after big program, college baseball might be your sport. I'll piggyback on that, Kendall. Like, look at the World Series. I was thinking about that. You mentioned Brian Pena played at Maine. I think about Kyle Schwarber played at Indiana. Bryson Stott played at UNLV. Uh, Chaz McCormick played at Millersville Division Two. So, you yeah. know, like like uh, Paul Goldschmidt uh, could be an MVP is Texas State. Chris Bryant played at San Diego. Um, and certainly, you know, like the Alex Bregmans and Dansby Swansons played mm-hmm. at LSU and Vandy, respectively. But, um, yeah, big leaguers, you know, for whatever reason in our sport, big leaguers come from all walks of life. Hey, let me let me piggyback on yours. You and all three of you, really. You know, I'm going to go player centric. If you're if you're locking in on college baseball this year and you can only pick one position, I will nominate the center fielders for you. You know, Fitzy mentioned, you know, EBJ, Enrique Bradfield Jr., who's basically got like a 95 percent stolen base success rate, which is not human. Uh, I'm going to give you Vance Honeycutt of North Carolina. This is bonkers numbers. Twenty five home runs last year, twenty nine stolen bases. 90 strikeouts and like a dozen sports center stolen home run plays. Like this dude is freak show, 6'3, 200 pounds, runs like a deer. I'm going to give you Dylan Cruz. Dylan Cruz is literally like a guy that could play NFL free safety, six foot, 210 pounds, runs like a deer, hits the ball a mile. I'm going to give you um, Nick McLean as a sleeper. Um, the youngest of the three McLean brothers. He's a switch hitter at Arizona State now who will play center field, transferred from UCLA. Saw him a couple weekends ago against Vandy. Just looks the part, like little fire hydrant, skilled, great player. I'll give you one more center fielder. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch. Ryan Lasko at Rutgers, Mm -hmm. kind of like a mini Mike Trout, like that 5'11", 200-pound, explosive, 
middle of the field player um, who's, you know, in Rutgers has had a great resurgence. So if you can only pick one position, I'm going to, I'm going to point you in the direction of the center fielders. I like that. That's a good, that's a good topic there, coach. I like it. There you go. There's, there's, that was, that was two of my best ones. Uh, Fitzy round three, what are you thinking? All right. So here's, here's something that's on my mind right now. Is the ball still juiced? Ooh. And I say that because the ball was juiced last year. I, I, I 100% believe that. Um, the home run numbers were bonkers. Uh, by the time we got to the warmer weather and conference tournaments and balls are just flying in the regionals, like you look at those scores in Stillwater. And again, I know that that's a hitter for the environment, but it was insane. I remember, you know, yeah. being at the ACC tournament and uh, walking down the aisle and seeing a scout who's just like shaking his head like this is a joke. You know, it makes evaluation impossible because the balls are just flying out of there. And it's like, you don't know what power is real anymore. Something was up with the balls. That is my belief, my strong belief. And so I'm wondering if we got those balls out of our system now. This was a COVID supply chain issue or whatever the heck it was. Uh, I want to see if we get a little bit more normalcy this year. I, I do feel like we had a good, you know, balance in the game for a while. And last year, I thought the game went back out of balance. I think the home run numbers were out of control. Fitzy, I just want a skosh of an adjustment, though. Like, like, yeah. just, I want a very, very minor adjustment because I, I borderline loved the craziness in the regionals, but that it was nuclear. There's no denying it. It was craziness. You know? I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's, we don't need an overcorrection like we had in 2011 with the BB Court bats. But here's the thing is, if you look at the data, um, from what I can gather, uh, just talking to some people behind the scenes, it sounds like exit velocity wasn't necessarily up it was mm. just the carry distance that was up um so, so that I, would be totally be the ball yeah the ball would, it's the yeah. ball interesting here's uh, here's another theory yes. so uh talking to uh <clears throat> well i guess aaron you were actually there because you and i were both covering this series but do you remember when we were at old dominion a couple of years ago and chris finwood said that yeah. you know they built this chemistry building behind the <laughs> behind the fence in center field and so the wind has shifted since we put that building there and we're not complaining, but our home run numbers have just gone through the roof since they put that building there. Why are we ruling out that maybe many schools have built new buildings behind their outfield fences? Hmm? Why are <laughs> that we so to rule that out? Yeah. Maybe that's what's happening here. A lot of what, are they not, what are they not telling us? <laughs> <laughs> They're invisible buildings. That's very that's right. true crime of you right there, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of people with maybe box yeah. fans or something. Everyone's a suspect. I still remember seeing one of Melendez's home runs last year against, I think it was the Texas Texas series, maybe, maybe Oklahoma State. And I mean, the ball was literally like, had just started going up whenever it was going over the scoreboard. Like, I don't even know what the, the tell of the tape was on that thing. But I, was, I remember seeing that and going, like, there's no way that, that ball is not juiced. Yeah. I, and, and I just, I want to be clear I don't hate it. I didn't hate it. Yeah, it's, exactly. Fitzy, Fitzy is a much much uh, smarter person than me to He's bring to that throw up. Water on the but fire. Come I, on, I didn't man. hate it. I hated it. Was it was too much. I hated it. Yeah, I see. I I, I um I, I'm I side more with with runes, and I, it's be, I think it's less because I it's less because I didn't see an issue with the way the ball acted last year because I, I get it. It's that I am kind of gun shy about trying to figure out a solution to it and we end up back where we were because I, I'll just be, I mean, this sounds dramatic and maybe it is, but like I almost kind of just, there was a point and this is, I was, you know, not covering college baseball yet, but I was a fan when, when they introduced the BB core bats and they, that it was just so bad that I, 
if that had continued on, like, I don't know that I would have stuck with the sport. That was a bad, that, that's product. how, yeah, that was, a bad that, I mean, it was, it was, it was truly outfielders playing at half depth and daring you to burn them because yeah, no yeah. one could. And, and, so and, nobody, and nobody wants to go back to that because that was the extreme opposite. That was not balance. I just want balance. I yeah, want a, yeah. I want a true fair game. And we, we've, we, you know, we've, unfortunately we've had that for several years, but the last two years home runs have just spiked it. And last year they spiked dramatically over the previous year. So um, it, it just feels like it's gone a little too far. And, and yeah. you know, again, it's better than, it's better than 2011. Um, but we, it's still not, it's still not, it doesn't feel great to me. Yeah. Fair. Uh, Joe, are you up? Yep. You're up Joe. Yep. Round three. Um, so mine is, to watch the space of the of transfers. And that's a really broad thing. But here's what I mean by this. I think LSU specifically, and there are some other teams, is going to be a really interesting test case this year. Because to this point, and it's important to remember that, to, to use a strained baseball metaphor, in the world of free transfers, we're still kind of in like the second inning of this thing, right? Um, this is the first full off season where everybody knew they could transfer freely. That The previous off season was like a little bit you know, we could see it coming, but it wasn't approved. It was just like a shorter window. Anyway, long story short, to this point, the schools that have gone all in on transfers are, you know, power conference programs that knew they needed to revamp their roster quickly, like AM a year ago, right? And that obviously worked swimmingly, of course. Or programs that maybe are playing in the transfer space instead of playing in JUCO recruiting as much. Well, he's like Kentucky or Missouri. Um, you know, Oklahoma state has done some of that. Those were kind of Juco heavy programs, or at least, you know, did a lot of Juco stuff that now maybe you're doing more transfers. This LSU team is, and you correct me if I'm wrong in terms of power conference programs, the first program that has taken what was already going to be a good to great roster, even without the transfers and just revamping it kind of on the fly to take a great roster to an excellent, maybe all-time great type of roster. And like, I'm not saying that maybe we should see if this doesn't work, but it is kind of an interesting test case because we, it's just not something we've seen teams do to this point. You know, transfers have been kind of looked at, um, I think, as a way to uh, put like a, a garnish on a roster or to really get good quick um, or to, to go from poor to good, you know, or poor to competitive but what LSU is doing is something completely different. Like, again, that's that's a team it's that... pillaging, right? Like, it's like a pirate ship. Like, they're just coming and taking your gold. They're not taking your... Yeah, I totally agree, Joe. Like, th there's no... Like, Tommy uh, Tommy Tanks and Thatcher Hurd, there ain't no garnish there. Holy heck. I, I yeah, will so say just, this, though... the... Go ahead. I was just going to say that the, the, the big... The, the, point, the point I'll put on this is just that I'll be interested to see a few years down the road, especially if this goes really well for LSU, if they're lifting the trophy in June in Omaha... Um, how many people, how many programs rush to try to do the same thing right away? Um, and if five years from now, if do we look back at that, if LSU has that level of success as kind of a, a one-off um, or if everybody is doing this or, you know, or is it just that Jay Johnson is a, um, and I mean this in a good way, just a maniacal recruiter who is just always going to look for every marginal improvement he can make on his roster. Is he just a unique case in that way? And we won't know for a few years, but I think seeing what happens with LSU this year, will start to give us some hints about what we'll see down the road. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think there's a couple of risks involved here. Uh, one being, you know, I was, I was just talking to Jay about this a, a few weeks ago, is, you know, fans in, in Baton Rouge, like if they don't win the national championship with all those guys they brought in, 
like their fans will absolutely consider the season a failure. So you're you're all of a sudden you're starting the season with the bar being playing for a national championship. I think the other thing that gets lost a little bit is you know trying to manage all these egos. It's it's one thing to go, oh well, the the fall's been great, the kids are buying in. But what happens, you know, when they lose a series to Vanderbilt and then the next week and they lose a series to AM? Like, how is that locker room managing managing those egos, managing Tommy White, Thatcher Hurd, Christian Little? Like, that's not very easy, especially this day and age when you really almost kind of have to coddle kids a little bit. So I, I think there is a risk involved in loading up like that. But we'll see. Like you said, it's a great test case. We'll see if it works out. But I, I will say this. If there's one guy that I think can handle that, it is Jay Johnson. Hmm. Well and, and I do think there's there's also the complication of of you know the NLI money and does that create like a different kind of class system within your dugout? Um, uh, you know, I don't know if we will see how easy it'll be to, to kind of from the outside to see the the impact that that might have. But obviously, I think you know NLI I believe is a good thing from a fairness standpoint when it comes yeah. to you know the free market system and everything else. But there are complications. You know, we are entering a new a new era. And the other the other thing that I'm interested in is you know, how do you keep your young guys happy? If, if, yeah. if nowadays everybody, especially the power program, if you're bringing in these, these juniors or seniors, in some cases, 50 year guys who are ready to play now, uh, but you've got a talented toolsy freshman who just doesn't have the experience and maybe isn't quite as game ready. How do you keep that kid happy? How do you develop young talent when you've got older guys that you're going to plug in ahead of them? How do you keep those mm-hmm. guys from going elsewhere? And maybe, you know, that, maybe that's not a bad thing either. You know, if, if a guy, goes to mid-major looking for playing time. But, I mean, it's just the whole um, process of developing young talent has gotten a lot more complicated now because it's yeah. just be many fewer opportunities, I believe, especially in major programs, to learn on the fly. Yeah, how do you even get your freshman to campus, right? Like like if I'm a scout and I've, I've drafted a player that's signed at a school that's really big in the transfer portal, you're saying, like, look, I don't, I, I don't think you're going to play because they don't want to play freshman, clearly, right? Like they – uh, you know, that could go both ways. Kendall, what do you got for round three? What do you, what else you got? Yeah. I just, I just think if you're somebody who is looking for, for things with college baseball, I would just say kind of the, the atmospheres around the sport. I mean, they're very unique. I mean, you go to like pro pro places, uh, you know, there's some good ones out there, Fenway, Yankee, the list kind of goes on, but you know, I think when you look at college baseball, I just think just, just taking in the, the, the atmospheres and the, the pageantry around the sport and just the, I don't know, just the overall feeling of the sport for me. I mean, that's, that's one of the things I would list to somebody who's asking me what, you know, why should I watch? Why should I take part in it? Uh, for me, it would just be that pretty, pretty good, simple. That's a good answer. Cause the venues, I'm going to piggyback on that with mine, Kendall, yeah. that the venues are like, if you like big and, and, you know, I'll just say it big and hairy, like Arkansas and Mississippi state is for you. You know, like that's, it's like going to the Daytona 500, going to one of those. But you could go to a University of San Diego game and have an mm-hmm. awesome experience. You go, you you guys mentioned Oregon State. You know, it's there's so many great venues and they're all unique unto themselves. Yeah, and I and I would say too, I think you you know bringing up Oregon State kind of kind of piqued my interest a little bit because you know I, I went there a few years ago. I still remember you know you, you remember when Ryan Kellogg for Arizona State threw a no hitter against Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that day. It was like sleeting. It was like 34, but it was a big Pac-12 series, right? And that Saturday game that he no-hit Oregon State, that place was packed. And it was 34 degrees. And so, like, I just think when you look across the country, like how many sports 
do you look at where at a place like Oregon State, the atmosphere is phenomenal. And again, like some Oregon State fans always kind of take this as a disrespect, but like always say, like it is the one place west uh, of the SEC that is like the SEC. And I would also argue this, like Arizona State to me, like back in their heyday, and I'm not just saying this because you're on here, but back in their heyday, like Packard and even uh, Muni for a big series, like when they played Michigan, uh, a few a couple of years ago when Tracy was still there like that was a great atmosphere like Arizona mm-hmm. State I think can be lumped into that if they got things going there yep. and and I uh Kendall you mentioned earlier the fans lining up in Jackson to see a Tennessee fall scrimmage I mean I don't know if I've talked about this in the podcast yet or not but uh when I was out west a month ago uh early October I went to mm-hmm. see Oregon State play Gonzaga and Bend which is a couple hours from Corvallis um, and it was a kind of an old, it was an older ballpark that the, the summer league team plays there, the Bend Elks. Um, and maybe the place, if, if the place holds 3000, I swear to God, they had 6,000 people there. I mean, it was insane for a fall scrimmage. I mean, it was totally beyond standing room only. I mean, everybody's packed in like sardines and 18 innings of baseball and a large chunk of those people were there the entire time for a meaningless fall scrimmage. I mean, I'm telling you, it's it's serious passion up there. So it is far beyond just the SEC. Yeah, so good. Hey, boys, let's do this. I'm going to give my third one. I'm going to do a couple reads here, and then we'll go um, lightning round for the last two. Just a quick hitter on those. Um, so let me just do the reads. For, so two part, two uh, two th- encouragements I want to send to the uh, listeners. One is the ABCA. The convention is coming up January 5th through the 8th, 2023. It's at the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville. Um the, 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 I'll tell you straight up, the Opryland is sold out. I'm at the courtyard down the street if you want to join me. But if you're a baseball coach, a baseball fan, I'm really talking to the coaches particularly. You got to get there. You got to figure out a way to get there. If you're not signed up yet, uh, it'll be the best decision you ever make. It, it's You're going to fill your own tank as a coach. And so that helps your career, the networking, the knowledge you're going to gain. But the other thing is it's what you're going to bring back to your team in the spring. So uh, th- this is a you, you just don't you don't miss this event if you're serious about it and, and you find a way you borrow the money you do what you got to do um, but uh, we will all be there um, it's 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 such an awesome weekend in every every way uh, the other thing I want to mention is there is no better time than right now to get a subscription to d1baseball.com the fall reports are awesome Fitzy I read your Clemson report last night phenomenal so great you know like this Clemson team is super super interesting and we could go around the horn like these joe's cranking them out like crazy my unlv fall report is you know it's legendary let's if let's just call a fish a fish right like um kidding sort of not kidding um but anyway uh what you do at at checkout go fall 22 that's what you type in there fall 22 at checkout you'll get 20 percent off um again if you're enjoying this podcast you'll love the website so Boys, my number three, and then we'll get to the lightning round. I'm going to go the West Coast. Like when I think about European soccer, like the England is like the country. And then there's like Spain is really famous. And I, I perceive Italy as kind of like this little area, but they're really good. And um, that's the West Coast. I mean, Stanford and Oregon State have become the class of the Pac-12, the Arizona schools, SC, UCLA. But the Big West from 2014 to 2017, the Big West is really – the mid-major that is that has actually sent teams to the College World Series. From 2014 to 2017, the Big West sent a team four straight years. Now, 
the Big West has scuffled the last couple of years. We know that. But California is is the the anchor of those West Coast conferences. And there are really good programs like a Cal State Fullerton. Cal State Fullerton is unequivocally one of the great college baseball programs historically. It's a brand. And Cal State Fullerton is a commuter school in Orange County, California. Doesn't have football. So I want to give I'll put the West Coast on on the board. Um, Oregon State, we've talked about a little bit. Um, it, it's really good baseball out there a little bit, you know, kind of on their heels a little bit right now, but I, I, I wonder how long that will last. Uh, Fitzy, you want to go round four? We'll do two lightning rounds here. Two lightning rounds. Okay. Real quick, uh, for me, lightning round, uh, East Carolina, can they get over the hump? Uh, this it. is the best program in college baseball that has never been to Omaha, which is still shocking. Been to uh, all kinds of regionals and super regionals. They were one win away last year. They had mighty Texas on the ropes at home. It looked like they were going to get over that hump, and then Texas found a way to come back and win. Um, it's a great program. They're good. They're going to be good again. They're good every year, but they, they got plenty back. They got plenty of talent. They've got a, a very hungry fan base, passionate, great baseball atmosphere. One of these days, they're going to punch that ticket and break down that wall. Maybe this is the year. Yeah, it's like that old argument, the greatest. Uh, they used to say it about Phil Mickelson, right? Greatest golfer, never to win a major. That's exactly. What, does anybody know the number off the top of your head? It's like 32 regionals, no Omaha, something. It's either high 20s or low 30s. I'll count it while we're uh, It's in that going. ballpark. Yeah, craziness. Go ahead, Joe. So this kind of ties in uh, to what Aaron just gave us and also just something we've talked about previously. And that's um, not just the good atmospheres, but the party atmospheres in college baseball, I think are kind of unique. So many of the facilities in college baseball, different than college football, right? Where in college football, the fans are a little further away from the field and they kind of have to be because you've got these huge sidelines and tunnels and all that kind of stuff. But, and everyone's kind of sitting in bleachers or seats or what have you. You know, college. One of the things I think is great about college baseball is how many places have just kind of general admission areas where people are just mm. standing or milling about. And so I think about East Carolina and the jungle, which is behind their outfield fence. And I'm not really sure how it's allowed. I, I don't want it to go away, but like I'm not sure how it's allowed that they're just like hanging over the fence. Like the fans are, their arms are in the playing field right and they're holding signs and megaphones and stuff like that over the fence i'm not i guess it's never been an issue so you know as long yeah. as that's continue so but Ole miss famous party atmosphere the lawn out behind their fence with the beer showers um so not just good atmospheres but i think the party atmospheres in college baseball kind of set it apart because i think that is a way in which it is just different than other collegiate sports because of the way the facilities oftentimes are set up and sometimes in life the things that we lack are the things that make us great in some ways. And because college baseball in a lot of places lacks these big palaces that actually physically seat 12, 15,000 people programs have had to make do and the way in which they've made do in a lot of ways is just kind of general admission seating where people get together and it's, and it's a party. I love it. It's like an informal bar. It's so great. Right. Kendall, go for it. Rude. You're going to love this one. Oh. Uh, I'm going to go with the redemption story in the fifth year senior. Uh, you know, you look in college baseball this past year, you, know, you look at, you, you know, somebody just mentioned a a minute ago, you look at Dylan Rock and Jacob Polish, you talk about redemption with Jacob Polish. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had a mid four, four to almost five ERA at Stanford, goes to A&M, kind of learns the breaking ball a little little bit from Nate Yeski. All of a sudden, the dude's a first first team All-American mm-hmm. after being, you know, having a mid four ERA at Stanford. So, you know, you look at that, you know, you look a couple of years ago, 
with Kevin Copps. You're talking about a guy who they literally almost cut and is a redshirt senior wins the Golden Spikes Award and wins the D1 Baseball Player of the Year Award. So that's a redemption story. You talk about the, the Stephen Shocks of the world. You're talking about a guy who was at App State, was at Maryland, Baltimore County, goes to Virginia, ends up being one of their better relievers. You know, people like know him as a dude that's talking about dipping dots, but like the, the trajectory of his career and like the path he took, like that's one of the great things about college baseball is like the redemption story. Like just because things don't work out somewhere doesn't mean you can't resurface somewhere else or resurface within your own program and turn into a superstar. And I think that's what makes this sport pretty special. KR, you had me at Steven Shock. You didn't even have to mention the word redemption. Like he didn't pay me for that. He's the most entertaining person in our sport, and that's that's uh, that's a no-brainer. Uh, boys, I'm going to give you the power 4.5. You know, we don't have a true blue power mm. 5 in college baseball. Um, the SEC is the obvious power. The Pac-12 is the historical power. The Big 12 has incredible baseball and incredible atmospheres. The ACC is, you know, right there challenging the SEC all the time. And then the Big Ten is very interesting. Now they're, you know, they just, it's complicated in baseball for the Big Ten. They sponsor more sports than any other league. You know, Penn State's got like 36 varsity sports and Alabama might have 20. Um, There are these very um, well-known academic institutions. There's cold weather to deal with. But for the Big Ten, they've got great coaches, they've got great facilities, and they got a bunch of money coming. And so that's going to be very, very interesting. So I'm going to call it the power 4.5. And I say that, and Michigan played in game three of the College World Series finals in 2019. But that, that's a unique part. If you're a standard sports fan, um, that's, that's the power five. I, me personally, I think it's a little bit different in college baseball for many reasons, the weather being a big part of that. So Fitzy, final um, offering for the lightning round here. All right, I'm just going to give you a player that I'm going to plant my flag on here this yes. year. Somebody, something I'm expecting. I already mentioned Spikerman, I, so I guess that's one I gave you already. But, Runes, you mentioned the center fielders earlier. Here's one that I think will be a household name this year. Um, Colton Ledbetter, Mississippi Ooh. State. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy had a big year last year at Samford um, and, and transferred to Mississippi State. He's going to be a central piece of Mississippi State's resurgence this year. I think the Bulldogs are going to be – very good again. They've had a strange run here with winning the national title two years ago, finishing dead last last year with injuries. Um, they're going to be back. They're very physical, uh, athletic, and he is kind of the poster boy for both those things. Can really hit left-handed power hitter, uh, athlete, center fielder, five-tool guy. I mean, I, I think he winds up being a first-round pick when it's said and done and um, an All-American. And, and I think that he leads the way for Mississippi State to – to surge right back into prominence this year. That's a good two and one right there because Hale State mm. is compelling too. Well done, Fitzy. Can, can he drop. put together a Sunny D type of numbers as a, as a sample uh, well, he's, he's, Different he's a guy, much, right? Much different kind of player. He, he, he could give you Sunny D with more speed, maybe. How about that? <laughs> no offense to Sunny D, but better looking in a bathing suit. I'm I don't know if he can. Too. I don't know if he can have more speed than Sunny D. Sunny D was it. We, we miss him already. Uh, Jose, go ahead. So this one's probably the most abstract of the, of the ones that I've, that I've put forth here, but I think it's fascinating. And I think you're seeing this in, in all collegiate sports, but it's how through the lens of baseball, how do we see uh, these schools, these athletic departments, these baseball programs in our case, ready for a big old round of conference realignment that's about to hit us. Like Ugh. it's all been announced and it just the, the dominoes have not, there's some minor dominoes, the Missouri Valley, for example, is getting three new teams this year, et cetera but the big dominoes are still yet to fall. 
And so what I mean by this is I, I think there is a very real scenario where you start to see baseball programs one way or the other readying themselves for the next step. I think it was great for Oklahoma last year that they got one step away from winning a national title because I think they needed that kind of jolt. Now you see maybe the facilities are coming along for Oklahoma, yeah. which is much needed. So they are kind of prepping to get into the SEC to move into that nicer neighborhood, if you will. And so they're they're readying that. I'm fascinated by the teams that are going from the American to the Big 12. Even without Texas and Oklahoma, the Big 12 is still going to be a very good baseball conference. So Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, um, what do those programs do to answer? I mean, those are there's a lot of potential in those four programs I just named and not a lot of realization of that potential, especially over the last three or four years, right? So mm-hmm. to those programs, what, what do they do to kind of jumpstart themselves as they start to go back into a it go, as they go into an even bigger conference than the one they were in? So I'm not sure what that all looks like. Is it further facilities investment? Is it um, making changes on the coaching staff, you know, revamping that. Um, is it a change in the pl- type of player they're recruiting? You know, do, do you, as you move up into a bigger conference, does it open up avenues for you to recruit a different type of player? So do we see recruiting shift in, in recruiting strategies? So again, all kind of down the road stuff, but I, I do think now with some of this seismic conference realignment on our doorstep again, I, I do think we are going to see some, some shifting in how programs operate. Conference realignment brought to you by Tums. I mean, it is like so. It's the worst. (laughs) But you're right, Joe. It's such a, it is a real catalyst, but man, it is a headache too. Uh, KR, what do you got for your final offering? I think for me, it's just, you know, looking at some of the coaching changes in the offseason and how some guys do moving forward. I look in the ACC with, you know, uh, Lee Jarrett going to Florida State. Like, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not sure there's been anybody in the last decade that's done a better job than he did during his tenure at Notre Dame, considering kind of the constraints that he has in South Bend. He did an incredible job there. It's a different job at Florida State. I think he he certainly gets Florida State. I'll be interested to see if he can be that elite with the Seminoles. I think the other guy for me, we were just talking about it on the group chat a couple of days ago, the other guy for me that I'm really interested to see if he can kind of take the program the next step, get them back to the to Leggett era where they're actually getting to Omaha is uh, Eric Backage. You know, can he can he work wonders in year one? And I think the other one for me is staying in the ACC is Sean Stilfer going to the ACC. He was a guy that had a lot of success at VCU. He played in a Super Regional uh, many years ago uh, with the Rams and so uh, as a coach. And so, you know, can he go to Notre Dame and continue what Lee Jarrett has built? So, you know, whether it's Wake Forest and the, and the expected rise of the Demon Deacons, whether it's North Carolina and the, and the really good club we think, you know, Scott Forbes is going to have. The mm-hmm. ACC is actually really, really interesting to me going to 23. Totally agree. And it's like we're, none of us are here to promote the idea of terminating coaches. We all hate that. Sure. But like the right hire matters. Like looking at you, Tennessee, right? Like, holy heck, like hire Tony Vitello. Five years later, you're building a $60 million stadium. Like it's – it's uh, yeah, no question. All right. My final offering boys, let me put an addendum on Kendall's first point, And then I I've, I've got one. Uh, so if you take Kendall's advice and you go to Omaha for opening weekend, get yourself to the Drover, just an old fashioned steakhouse. And when I say old fashioned, I'm talking 1970s. It's the best. You won't regret it. You got to come to the Hilton bar, the Hilton Omaha is right across the street from the stadium. Come to the Hilton bar That's where all the cool people are hanging out, having adult beverages. Um, Here's my final offering, boys. This is self-promoting, so I'll apologize in advance. Squeeze play. 
regional weekend we do the red zone you can watch every game on espn and then we're whipping around last year it was myself matt schick chris budden danny wexelman chris burke it was a blast it's like sitting in a bar watching 64 teams get after it because squeeze play is primarily the opening weekend of the tournament and if you don't know we do a 64 team tournament just like basketball does with a little you know baseball is a different format because it's not single loss elimination so I think I think if you're a new fan, squeeze play is something you want on your menu for your first NCAA baseball tournament. So there you have it. The best. And I'll try to dress better this year. Squeeze play is the best product. You do need to step up your tie game. Berkey put you to shame last Just year. Just housed me. I was yeah. I was embarrassed for you. Yeah, my mom lectured me on it, Fitzy. It was yeah, it was yeah. To be fair, it looked like he was going to Easter service. <laughs> <laughs> it did. He was he was really into the pastels, was he not? He I mean, let's go. <laughs> Uh, Chris from my, my favorite part of squeeze plays when you guys just start getting loopy late at night yeah those yeah it's a long day in there and the, those night games you can get a little you can get a little what was it two years was brain. it two years ago where we had like three or four walk-offs in a in like a span of like 15 minutes yeah that was it because it, it was when drew gilbert walked off right state that was oh, two that years was ago nuts. right yeah two years ago 20, yeah it was during that 21. whole like compilation there were like three or four different like huge hits yeah about a 15, and then last year of course the fayetteville regional was just bonkers just completely bonkers so anyway gentlemen well done i feel like we have i feel like we have served uh people that want to dive into college baseball well i leave here very excited for college baseball i leave here very excited for the world cup in soccer uh, I, I just let's put that out there i'm going to dive in um and that's it we appreciate everyone listening um we will be back next week and uh that's it have a good one everybody